Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture is from the 33rd chapter of Genesis, the first 17 verses. If you happen to be following along in a pew Bible, you can find that passage on pages 26 and 27. Genesis 33, 1 through 17. Listen to the word of God. Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on ahead of them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And finally Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor with my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please, if I find favor with you, then accept my present from my hand. For truly, to see your face is like seeing the face of God, since you have received me with such favor. Please accept my gift that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have everything I want. So he urged him. And he took it. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way, and I will go alongside you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail, and that the flocks and herds which are nursing are a care to me. And if they are overdriven for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly, according to the pace of the cattle that are before me, and according to the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, why should my Lord be so kind to me? So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the place is called Succoth. Father, sanctify us in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. It comes as no surprise to you how much I love preaching the Old Testament stories. The involvement of God in the lives of people across their lives where we're not just taking one piece of scripture and looking at it together but each week building on itself. 
And for the last month or so, we've been looking at the life of Jacob. This is uh, the fifth of six sermons on Jacob's life. We'll conclude this next week. But we've seen already from the second half of Genesis, where Jacob's story is, that the name he was given at birth, the name that was stitched onto his baby blanket, which is Trickster, is a name he's been able to live into just fine. He's cheated his brother Esau, he's cheated cheated his dad Isaac, his uncle Laban. His life has been defined by getting ahead by whatever means possible. Lie, cheat, cheat, steal, betray. If it helps you get ahead, hey, do it. You've known people like this. They shave a little here, they squeeze the books just a little bit if it'll help them. I know the plan's called for two by sixes, but a two by four will do fine. You also know that the swindler life usually catches up with people eventually. Well, this has been Jacob's story, and this is where we are today. His deceptions have caught up to him for sure. Jacob cheated his brother out of his birthright by tricking his own dad. So he goes to find refuge with his uh, mother's brother, his uncle Laban. He cheated him in a breeding scam, put some cash in his pocket, but he's just got enemies everywhere. And in last week's story, he picked up the herd and the family and some others in his company. And he was a fugitive again, this time running away from Laban, who he has cheated. But he's now running into the jaws of his brother, Esau, whom he has cheated. He's just got trouble in every possible direction. And in last week's story, remember he had sent sentries out ahead to check to see what they could tell about Esau and uh, what he might be headed into. And they brought back the bad news that Esau was on the way and he had an army of 400 with him. So, so Jacob sent out some, well, bribes. <laughs> he sent flock and uh, probably a little folding money. He just wanted to get on his good side. He sent some stuff ahead to buy off his brother, to appease his brother so he wouldn't be the, uh, the victim of Esau's vengeance. All of that still last week's story. Now, you know that in this series, I have been catching us up between the last story and the next story, so we get the narrative, but there's no gap this week. This story is the very next story in Genesis after, uh, after Jacob wrestled with the stranger at Jabbok. So, Jacob and his family and servants and animals continue toward Canaan. And he can see, but more he can feel the rumble of Esau and his army of 400 coming at him. And as he gets near, as the army of Esau gets near, Jacob approaches with his bad limp and he bows in deference. He bows deeply seven times in apology and submissiveness, hoping he's going to catch a break with his brother. 
But Esau is not the white, hot, angry brother he remembers. Instead, his husky older brother runs up to Jacob. I'm sure Jacob was... But instead of smacking him, he wraps his big arms around him in a hairy embrace and kisses him and cries. Esau says, introduce me to your family. This is not at all what Jacob is expecting, right? And then Esau says, why in the world did you send all those gifts ahead the other day, the the goats and the cattle and all the rest? Jacob answers, to find favor with my Lord. In other words, to bribe you, right? To buy you off. To try to purchase enough favor that you're not going to kill me. Esau says, little brother, (laughs) I've got plenty. Keep what you have for yourself. And then watch the turn that happens in the language here. Jacob changes from the language of bribe and payoff and purchasing a favor to talking about a gift. Jacob says, no, please, accept my gift. Seeing your face is like seeing the face of God because of the way you have received me. I have more than enough. Please accept my gift. And Esau, who's not willing to accept a payoff, does agree to accept a gift. And both of them are treating this incredibly uh, extravagant financial exchange as though it's incidental. Because there's this other exchange that's happening beneath the surface that's a whole lot more valuable than the goat's. Jacob has come humble and bowing, symbol of his apology. And Esau has put the pain of Jacob's double cross behind him and has come in forgiveness and reconciliation. And the donkeys and the cattle and the sheep and the billy goats and all that, they fade in the tears of what is going on here that is so holy. These two brothers are becoming reconciled. Their their relationship is becoming restored. And Jacob says, seeing your face, it's like seeing the face of God. Well, God's obviously been at work in Esau's life too, right? I mean, we've been following the life of Jacob. We just don't know a whole lot about what's been going on with Esau, but God has obviously been at work in his life. Lewis Smedes in his book, Forgive and Forget, says, Forgiveness takes a predictable path from hurt to hate to healing to coming together. And we know from the story that Jacob was scared enough of his brother when his brother was in the uh, the early stages of hurt and hate that he feared for his life and he took off. But somewhere in all of this, God has been at work in Esau's life, restoring the stages of healing and coming together where Esau shows up in a posture of forgiveness. 
You, you remember the early stage, uh, the early descriptions we talked about uh, with Esau. Big, hairy, muscular guy, stays out in the fields, has a five o'clock shadow by lunchtime, right? You remember all of that? Well, when they get together, Esau much taller, and behind this full beard, Jacob sees in his eyes unearned forgiveness, unmerited love, unexpected acceptance, and something about being awash in the grace of that much love and forgiveness, Jacob sees God's face. After all these years of living with the guilt and separation and alienation and the grind in the stomach, Jacob receives a generous enough portion of God's grace that he says it could only have poured out from the very face of God. Well, you've heard me talk before about one of my most important mentors, John Claypool. Dr. Claypool wrote a book uh, several years ago that included a good portion of the story of Jacob. And the title of the book is God the Ingenious Alchemist, Transforming Tragedy into Blessing. Ancient alchemists, as you know, believe that lead could be turned into gold. Lead can be transformed by a process and become gold. And Claypool contends that that's exactly how God works. That God continues to take the worst things and transform them into blessing. And Jacob became the perfect story to illustrate uh, this nature of God, this theology of blessing. God working through the deceitful life of Jacob the trickster, transforming him into an agent of blessing. God, the ingenious alchemist, turning lead into gold. And in the life of Jacob, turning the trickster into Israel, this agent of blessing for all of the Hebrew people, the ingenious alchemist. By the way, the, the story is not just part of God's nature in Genesis it's God's nature and practice throughout all of history and in this room today. God the alchemist is looking for way, ways to transform your past betrayals into some story of blessing. Part of the transformation process involves receiving God's unearned forgiveness and then participating in what God is doing to reconcile the world. Scottish theologian H.R. McIntosh says that forgiveness is an active process of a wronged person by which he establishes a moral hindrance to fellowship with the wrongdoer. Let me say that more plainly. It involves getting past the morally wrong thing that was done to you in service of being back in relationship 
to another one of God's children whom God loves as much as God loves you. It involves forgiving in the same way you have been forgiven without any merit at all. Which is why it is so rare and it is so hard. Forgiveness is hard to accept from God and from others and it is especially hard to give out. I get to see this uh, work out mostly at weddings and funerals. Now, in weddings, the estranged person parts of the family usually don't get invited. But let me assure you, I have seen some uh, ex-wife and new wife things that were just really, really interesting, right? I mean, there was all kind of stuff going on there. But at the funerals, you can't leave anybody out. They're all invited. And funerals are absolute powder kegs. Now, the funeral itself is sad, but I have often experienced more pain in the messed up family relationships than in the death itself. Kinfolk, blood relatives, dressed in black at different ends of the pew, just like this, they hadn't spoken to each other in 20 years and not going to do it today. Of course, not all, all the relationships that need reconciling are family relationships. Former business partners, former boyfriends, former wives, current neighbors, you've got your list. Well, back to our story. Esau accepts the gifts of his brother. The gifts, remember, not the bribes, the payoffs, but the gifts. And then Esau makes this other really incredible gesture. He says, let us journey on our way, and I will go alongside you. In other words, shoulder to shoulder, me and you back. Come on, the team is back. We'll just go together in this. We'll make this trip together. And Jacob says, thank you, but, but no. Uh, I mean, we're traveling with weak animals and with, you know, waddling children. And we're just, we're moving at a snail's pace. We'd hold you up. You just go on. We'll come along later. We'll, we'll come at the pace of these toddlers. You see, re reconciliation doesn't always mean you're going to lunch together every Friday. Doesn't mean you're back to vacationing together at Rosemary Beach. These two brothers restored the gnawing distance in their relationship, but then they went their own way. Reconciliation is hard because it takes two parties to participate. It's hard. It is rare. And even when the relationship is restored and made whole, sometimes folks go their own way at different speeds and at different directions. But still, two people who were estranged and now back in relationship with one another is so holy that when it happens, you will swear you saw the face of God. 
The Apostle Paul talks of reconciliation as one of the central calls of the gospel. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world unto himself through Christ. God has forgiven the trickster, this serial cheat named Jacob. And because Jacob is forgiven, he is to participate now in stitching the world back together at the broken places. Forgiveness takes three forms. First, God forgives us. We know and believe that despite our betrayal, the ways in our lives that we have played the trickster, all of the dark things that we have done that we have never said, that God the alchemist is waiting to transform that into gold to make our, the next part of our life a season of blessing. Secondly, there are people who have wronged us, whom we have wronged rather, and we need to have the Christian courage to bow seven times. We need to ask forgiveness when it was our fault, when it was our actions that caused the break in the relationship. We've got to make the step to make it right. We, we can't be certain the relationship's going to be healed. I mean, we only play one hand in this game. But it's still up to us to have the courage to step forward. And, and, well, and the last may be the hardest of all. Having experienced the forgiveness of God, we must abolish the moral hindrance to fellowship. The hardest part is getting past the harm that was done to us to forgive somebody else. But remember, remember when Jacob experienced the forgiveness of Esau. He said it, it was as though it was the face of God. When you are wronged, and you still have the capacity to offer back love and acceptance and forgiveness and grace. You look like God. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. So here's my challenge. One person, one step. Who is the one person in your life where the estrangement still gnaws at you the most? And what is one step you could make this week to heal that relationship? You don't have to become BFFs. But God's trying to rebuild this world in the places where we keep tearing it apart. 
So where is the one place this week you could join God in the reconciliation God is about to heal the world through love? Granted, you might get hung up on, but there's also a chance that somebody will say, your face looked like the face of God to me this week. How will you respond to the challenge of joining God in the work of reconciling the world through love? It starts with a commitment to Christ to follow the kind of principles that our Scripture has for us to live by. And if you've never said yes to that invitation of love, today might be the day to do it. And if you want a group of imperfect people to practice loving and being loved among, we got a pretty imperfect group of people here to be a part of, and we'd love to have you be a part of it with us. We're trying to figure out how best to follow the incredible words of Jesus into a life of reconciliation and love. Be a part of it with us, would you? Let's stand and sing and respond. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.